Would you fix the world? I mean, it's just a monster question, isn't it? It's a monster, monster question. And we asked it um, of people in Edinburgh uh, a few months back. We grouped together the hundreds of responses in, in, into categories, and we've used the top four responses as a basis to, to, to preach on it uh, over these weeks. So as, as Adam already said last week, we looked at the number one category, which was to fix people. And then the number two category was this thing, we needed to fix authority. And over the life uh, exhibition week, we had a couple of weeks back now, uh, Ross and Chris went out on the street and videoed some, some uh, people just walking down the street as to their views of how to fix the world. And uh, we showed some responses last week, and here's a few more. We're just looking at, we're making a short film, and we're trying to gather the opinions for um, Ban Trump. Fix the world. I would turn everyone vegan. Fix the world. Ban single-use plastic everywhere. Right, this this is how we that fix the world, right? I'll win the lottery, I would tell everybody homeless in Edinburgh, where I'm from, then I'll take all my mates, all my family, the world, I'll give to charity and everyone, and I'll leave myself with just enough to get by, and that's how I'll help the world. And I love the world. I'm from the world. God bless. It's, difficult. it's a difficult question, but I think one of the first things that we, we have to do is make some control on corporate power and the way money is used. Uh, there's a lot of talk around that we have, uh, there's not enough money to look after people. Well, there's loads of money in this world and there's loads of resources, so we need better ways of, of managing and using those resources. How affects the world by implementing decentralized networks, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoins, uh, alternatives to uh, the way the world's going now, and a lot of people don't know this, but cryptocurrencies and decentralized networks could make the world completely transparent, therefore politicians like Trump, Nigel Farage, Theresa May, they, they can't be sneaky, you can see everything they're doing, and yeah, cryptocurrency, that's my, my solution. Cryptocurrency, who knew? Now, a large uh, number of people really responded out in the street and in the survey saying, look, th this, is, this is how we're going to fix the world. We need to fix the issue of authority. And, and a lot of responses just fed back concerns like this, that other people in charge doing it for, for the good of others or for themselves. You know, that concern that there's too much power uh, invested in, in corporate organizations today. Big companies have too much power. There's too much hoarding of resources by the few. Great concerns about the unequal uh, distribution of resources and money. And if we could, you know, the, the, from the, the, the man there who just wanted to win the lottery and, and hand it all out, is expressing the same thing, that if we could just spread the resources out more widely, then we could fix the problems of homelessness and poverty and so forth. And, and there's a strong feeling as we had these uh, responses that the economy feels it's rigged against the poor both within our nation and even in the world economy, that the poor nations have a rough go of it. Uh, a concern of the problems of corruption, of injustice, a concern that we cannot trust those in authority. A lot of people express the thought, something like this, we need to scrap the current politicians and get a new bunch in who are going to run the show with honesty and integrity. 
But of course, it's not just the government that um, th th there seems to be uh, this view against, but a, a crisis of confidence in authority full stop. Uh, sexual abuse uh, amongst minors of those in, uh, who are in charge of organizations like, like the church or like football teams and youth teams. There's been a lot of concerns about football coaches and stuff like that. The, the, the concern over the banking crisis the collapse of the financial institutions, the, the scandal around executive pay and uh, bonuses, the outrage about MPs' expenses a few years ago, the newspaper uh, phone hacking, the problem of doping in sport. In lots of different ways in the society, there's a concern about authority and corruption within it. And that's in the UK, which is actually quite uh, a just and, you know, compared to other nations where actually you have to go out and bribe the police to, or, or authorities to get anything done, and yet there's still this concern within Britain. And so it's not surprising that the biggest, second biggest category was this concern that we need to fix authority. Now, as I said last week, I'm not here to pontificate on my views about these topics. I want to see what God has to say in the Bible about it. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up, and someone will bring it to you. You might want to turn to John's Gospel. So we're going to look today. Just hold your hand up if you don't have a Bible. Someone just keep it up, and someone will bring a Bible to you. Um, as I thought about this topic this week, it's actually a massive topic. Um, I can't possibly touch on all the things that could be said about authority in the Bible. And there's lots of follow-on questions I have, even as I did my study this week. But uh, feel free to send in questions to the office. You can use the email at the back of the bulletin. Um, we're going to have a, a course called Glad You Asked that starts on Thursday nights on September, well, this week, isn't it? September the 7th, that's this week. So if you've got questions, uh, that would be a great night to come along to and ask your questions. If they're really hard questions, save them for the seventh. If you're easy ones, send them to the office and I'll try and look at them. Let me tell you roughly what I'm going to try and do with the, the limited time we have today. Uh, I want to show you how God is concerned about the abuse of authority, why the Bible says we have this problem, what God has promised to do about it, and then some thoughts about how we can respond. So that's where we're heading this morning. So please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 10, and you'll find that on page 1076 in the Church Bibles, John chapter 10. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. This is Jesus speaking. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man who runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord." I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Well, keep that Bible open in front of you. Uh, we believe that God speaks to his word, and if you want him to speak to you, why don't you join me in this prayer? Father, we do thank you that you are God who's not hiding from us, but a God who's revealed himself in the world uh, through the Old Testament prophets, and, and then through the coming of your Son, and supremely through your Son. And we thank you for the uh, apostles who wrote it down so that we could know you truly. So would you speak to all of us this day and confirm your word deep in our hearts that we may trust the Lord Jesus uh, with our lives both now and for all eternity. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're not going to look at every single detail of this chapter, uh, of what um, Jesus taught here, recorded by his disciple John, but please observe with me that Jesus was also greatly concerned about the misuse of authority and power that he saw going on in Israel at that time, using what would have been sort of commonly observed um, imagery of an agricultural society, sheep and shepherds. He, um, he's actually making a massive and stinging criticism of those who were the religious leaders in Israel. Uh, look back at verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now this language of, of sheep and shepherd, shepherd might sound a bit cryptic and odd to us today, but it was unmistakably a challenge to the religious authorities that were running the Jewish nation at the time. Because this imagery is picking up a Bible passage that they should have known really well. 
So what I want you to do is keep your finger or a piece of paper in John 10, and we're going to go back to look at a passage in Ezekiel chapter 34. And you'll find this on page 865 of the Church Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 34. Because this is the rich imagery that's being taken up and used by Jesus in John chapter 10. Let me just read the first 10 verses here. Ezekiel 34, page 865. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed those who are ill, or bound up the injured, You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because of my my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Do you see how God is troubled and angry about those in authority who are abusing their position, making life good for themselves while failing to care for their flock, in fact, treating their flock brutally and harshly? And God says, look, I'm, I'm going to hold them accountable for this injustice. God cares about the way authority is exercised in the world. He's against those who misuse it. So let's continue to read uh, Ezekiel and see what God promises to do about it from verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd 
the flock with justice. This is what God promises to do. Against this abuse of authority, uh, God himself promises he's going to come and he's going to be the good shepherd. He's going to rescue the scattered flock. He will ensure that they're brought back to a place of pasture, that they, the weak and the injured will be cared for and nurtured. But I want you to notice as we read on now, the problem is not just with the shepherds, but with the sheep. It's not just the shepherds who tyrannize, it's the sheep. Let's read on from verse 17 to 22. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you've trampled and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will uh, no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place them under one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will uh, be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I want us to stop and reflect on this for a little moment. This is a very profound part of the Bible. Uh, we've seen that uh, from the survey, people have got a great concern about misuse and abuse of authority in the world. Now, why is that the case? Why do we see corruption uh, amongst those in authority and those in leadership? Now, if you were with us last Sunday and accept what Jesus taught, then I think the answer is obvious. If we are all basically good as people, then it's a total shock when anyone misuses their authority, isn't it? Oh my goodness, what has happened? This is so unusual, so surprising. But we saw that Jesus taught that while we're all capable of doing good and positive things, we are not basically morally good that there is evil in all of our hearts let me remind you what we looked at last week from mark chapter 7 verse 21 we can put it on the slide jesus said this for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come sexual immorality theft murder adultery Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now this is Jesus' diagnosis of our human condition. That within all of our hearts there are seeds of all these destructive sins where we selfishly put ourselves over others and actually put ourselves under God's just condemnation. We have evil hearts to do all these evil actions. And of course, if this is the case for every single human being, then it's also true of our leaders. Our leaders are just like us. The shepherd are like the sheep. 
People in government and those in authority have the same bias to selfishness and sin as the rest of us. And that's why I think the scariest regimes of all are those where all the powers are invested in one person at whatever level. Where people have greater and greater uh, authority and power without any accountability. There, my friends, is a rich seam for corruption and abuse of power because every single human being has this inner corruption towards selfishness and sin. Now, one person uh, responded in the survey that what we should do is abolish all governments and have one world government with a prime minister for the planet. Now, I guess that came from an environmental concern because I think their thinking was, you know, if there was one world prime minister, they would care for the whole planet. I think that was probably a, a good motivation for that. But given human sinfulness, I would quake at the thought of one all-powerful leader over the planet. There is something in all of us that yearns for a political savior. Quite a few people said, let's get rid of these politicians and get a new bunch in. There's something that yearns for a, a new political savior that's going to come and bring in some utopian future. You, you know the word utopia is, comes from Greek, and basically, if you break down the bits, it basically means no place. Utopia, there's no such place as utopia. It doesn't exist. It can't exist. There's something in us that yearns for this political salvation. Someone's going to come along. And actually, um, we've had enough history in our world to see uh, populist leaders rising up with easy solutions, blaming minority groups, and rising to power. And before it's too late, people wise up to the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Maos, the Paul Potts, who blatantly confiscate personal property, ruthlessly trample human life, and destroy what is valuable. As Jesus taught in, in, in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's why I think generations in the past have accept, who've accepted the teaching of Jesus have created structures in our society that provide checks and balances to minimize the potential for corruption and abuse of power. Knowing that our hearts are prone and biased to evil and sin, then we're very wise to seek to ensure that there are structures to limit authority and power. That's why we have parliamentary democracy, isn't it? And took power away from an absolute monarch. It's why voting rights were extended from the aristocracy to the whole population, because it's a, it's a much better way to change the government if you don't have to kill people to do it, to do it through the ballot box. It's why we have opposition parties to challenge the, the party in cabinet in power and to debate their ideas and legislation. It's why we have parliamentary subcommittees that can call leaders in different aspects of society to account. It's why we need a free press so that we can hold politicians and those in power to account. It's why we have law courts and judges so that we can be held against the rule of law. All these structures in the UK are actually a testament to this, this reality that we have a fundamental problem of sinful human hearts. No one person can in fact be entrusted with all power and authority because absolute power corrupts absolutely. The very structures of our civic society in the UK testify to the reality of our sinful hearts. The best of men are men at best. 
Now, some people see the problems with authority and say, well, let's, it's broken. Let's get rid of it. Let's throw it off. Let's get rid of all authority. I don't care what the government has to say. I don't care what authorities have to say. I don't care what God has to say. I, I just want life my own way without constraints. Uh, that's what a lot of students will be offered falsely uh, in Freshers' Week. But you know what? The route to pursuing your own desires, which sounds great at first, you will end up tyrannizing yourself. There was a big piece in the news this last week of a, of a huge fine of 7.4 million or 7.8 million fine against a gambling company that failed to protect vulnerable people. And uh, I read one report in the Times newspaper of a, of a manager, uh, if you move it on the slide, um, who stole money from her, the medical practice where she was a general manager to, to fund her gambling habit. She was spending three to four hours a day, every day for a whole year, placing 850,000 bets worth about 1.3 million on the website. And this was, her, this was her amazing statement. She described her gambling addiction, next slide, uh, as being like a monster that gets hold of you. That was her experience. Like a monster that gets hold of you. This is what happens when you give yourself over. I, I don't care about authority. I'm just giving myself to whatever I want to do. You'll end up tyrannizing yourself. If you allow free reign to your own sinful human desires, you'll find that rather than you controlling it, it will control you and tyrannize you. We want something, we must have it, we go after it, and great harm comes if we allow the monster in our hearts to tyrannize our lives. Greed, theft, deceit, envy, folly, all come from our own evil hearts, Jesus says. There's this destructive force at work in all our lives. Do you see then why... What we have read here in Ezekiel 34 is so wonderful. Ezekiel prophesied of God's concern for his people under abusive authority and that God was going to do something about it. He himself would come to shepherd his people. He would shepherd the people with justice. He would bring about salvation and rescue. And he would do this through a coming servant, one like King David of old in their history, a king in the line of David who would tend and care for the flock to be their shepherd. So turn back to John chapter 10, because that's the background to this passage. Those are the promises made just under 600 years before Jesus spoke these words. And Jesus sees exactly the same problems in his day as Ezekiel saw in his. But Jesus says he has come as the fulfillment of those promises. Look at chapter 10, verse 7 again. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
By saying this, Jesus is making the most astounding claim. He's claiming to be the Messiah King, come in fulfillment of Scripture. But more than that, he's claiming to be God himself, come to save and rescue and gather his people. God cares about a wounded, broken world, which is broken at every single level. It's people, it's leaders. But God, in his kindness, instead of just wiping us all out, throwing the whole planet in the, uh, in the bin, in his love, he came into the world through his son, Jesus, to regather a people under his rule and his authority, to rescue those enslaved to their own monster within, to bind up the weak and the injured, to make us whole, to forgive our sins and to gather us to himself. And can you see what an amazing servant leader Jesus is? He is the, the good shepherd, he says, who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, this is not just theoretical. This phrase wasn't just willing. He did it. He went to Jerusalem. He endured a very corrupt and dodgy trial. He was viciously beaten and torturous, uh, torturously died. As God, he could have kind of demanded worship and service, but instead he came as a servant to give his life as a ransom for many. And on the third day, he's raised from the dead, his resurrection a guarantee that there's life beyond death, that there is an eternal life and a new creation for all who will trust and follow him. A kingdom where there will be perfect justice, perfect righteousness, and no more sin that spoils it all. Now, perhaps today that's a, a pretty astounding claim, and you haven't really thought much about it. That's the first time you've ever heard this. But I want to tell you that Jesus is God's king. He is the one who's come to fix this broken world where also authority is broken. And the Lord Jesus wants to invite you to enter into his kingdom, to submit your life under his authority and rule. To be someone who hears his words and trusts him and obeys him. And if we do that, the Bible says, all the, the guilt and shame of our past actions are forgiven and cleansed and washed. He comes to make us whole. He comes in these verses that we may have life to the full. He comes to offer us the, the eternal reality of the new heavens that are to come, where there will be this righteousness and justice. Now, maybe you've got lots of questions about this. Um, think about glad you asked Thursday night. Send us some questions. Talk to us. We'd love to talk about this more. There's, there's just too much to say about this topic in one sermon. We do yearn for good government, for authority structures that are, that are just and equitable and righteous, for our leaders to be those who will do it for the benefit of all and not just a subgroup and a special privileged few. What we yearn for is what Jesus comes to bring in his coming kingdom. What holds you back from trusting him today? What holds you back from receiving his forgiveness and submitting your life under his rule today. 
Let me tell you that as forgiven people who live for the, this kingdom of the Lord Jesus, which is going to come in its fullness, this is not just pie in the sky when you die. But actually living in the Christ's rule today and living in the light of the coming kingdom, people who've lived that way have transformed society around them right here and now. People have chosen to act and, and live in civic society with the values of the kingdom to, to do good and promote human flourishing in, in this sinful, messed up world. Some leaders are better than others. And, 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 and we should praise and thank God for any leader who shows integrity and, 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 and serves selflessly and for the good of others. And these are the very values of the kingdom that he comes to bring. God promises his Holy Spirit to come inside of us, to empower his people to live for Christ, to live for his kingdom, to live out the values of his kingdom in this world, even as we wait for this king to return, to be models of, of transformational change. And do you know what? That has always been the case. Here's a, here's a little list and picture of some folk. Famously, William Wilberforce. What about the abolition of slavery? All because of his deep commitments as a Christian. The seventh Earl of Shaftesbury did a huge lot to deal with the, the problems of, of child labor and mental health reform. Uh, Thomas Bernardo, I, I studied at the London Hospital when I did dentistry. Thomas Bernardo studied medicine there, but during his time he was going to be a missionary to China, but he saw the, the poverty of, of the children in the, in, the S, in the East End, and he, he set about doing something about it, and so he started this incredible Bernardo's work that continues on today. In Edinburgh, Thomas Guthrie, you'll see a statue of him just down the street, the minister of St. Columbus who began a free schools for poor children, the ragged schools, and an orphanage work. And, and you could go person after person after person who've submitted their life to King Jesus, have been shaped by the values of Christ and sought to do good here and now even as they long for the return of Christ and this coming kingdom that will come in all its fullness. When the world was frightened about AIDS, the first hospital that exclusively focused on the care of people with HIV was the Mildmay Hospital in London. Again, a hospital that has always run from deep Christian convictions. Today in Edinburgh and other cities in Scotland, the work of Bethany Care Trust continues to support the needs of homeless people and vulnerable people uh, led by, it started off by a guy called Alan Berry, a minister from Leith. In our online prayer guide today, if you if prayed it today, you'd have seen the memorial about Andrew McCabe, who we supported for many years in northern India, who really gave his life to, to help the poorest of the poor in education, to help them to, 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 to get a place where they could study and be fed and, and make progress and to commend them the, the love of the Lord Jesus and the gospel had a massive impact in northern India and Nepal. And so we could go on and on and on. Yes, there's a problem with authority in the world. It's corrupt. There are still good people trying to make a difference. The person that we need to come to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you submit your life under his rule? There's a coming kingdom that's going to be perfect and amazing. And even as you live for that day and live out the valleys here and now, you can be part of the solution in a messed up world. What holds you from coming to Christ today? Asking him to forgive you, asking him to empower you, to ask him to use you 
in this broken world to, to share the good news, good news about Jesus, to be part of the solution to make transformational change in a messed up world. You could do that right now. I'm going to put a prayer up there. It's the same prayer from last week. Maybe there's someone here today, a number of people who know that they want to make a start with Jesus. And you could do so by praying a prayer just like this. It basically says, sorry, recognizing that part of the problem in the world is our own evil hearts. Thank you that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me and ask him to forgive you and come into your life to change you. I'm going to pray that prayer now. And if you want to pray it, why don't you pray it in the quietness of your heart and mind and you respond and enter into Christ's kingdom today. Let's bow our heads to pray. Dear God, I'm sorry for the evil that I see in my words, thoughts, and life. I need your forgiveness. Thank you that Jesus came to save sinners like me. Please forgive me and come into my life to change me to become more like Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, why don't you come and speak to someone today? It's great that you've started. And uh, we'd love to help you to grow in your faith. If you weren't ready to pray that prayer, but you had lots of questions, take one of these cards. Uh, you can just email to say you're, you're going to come along 7.15 uh, this Thursday at 7 o'clock. There's a number of evenings where you can ask those questions and get some more answers. Take that away and think about coming along.